There's a theory out there called the butterfly effect. Many of you have heard of it in one form or another. But basically, it talks about the interconnectedness of all things and the power of every small thing to influence and create big things. In this particular um, instance, it's because it says a butterfly flapping its wings across the world can result in a hurricane on this side. I would like to tell you, probably not. But it's a good idea to think of the connectedness of things. I did a youth rally. Uh, I don't know why I'm still allowed to do those at this advanced age. I, I guess it's because kids are in, they love dinosaurs. So uh, that's, that could be it. Um, and like them, I'll be extinct soon. But anyway, the point, let's, let's move on. Let's move on with the point. The point is, as I was doing this youth rally, they had asked me about where I'd gone and to tell people the things that I did and such. And then what I do at youth rallies is I answer questions. Uh, they, most of them are written because they want to, you know, teenagers have a, a, a little brittle ego. And if you have looked at the world, you know why. You know, I love them. But they need to write things quietly and have you answer them. I do that at universities as well. I'm supposed to do that in uh, Texas in just a couple of weeks. But one of the per people wrote something which wasn't the kind of question I normally get. It said, I've never traveled to these countries and probably won't. And I know I can't get these degrees. And I, this is my life at home and such. And she wrapped it all up. It was a feminine handwriting and wrapped it all up by saying, so what good am I to God? Oh my goodness. That one hit me in the heart and shamed me a bit too because evidently what had come across was more bragging than talking about how God works through me. And I'm certainly susceptible to, to any of those errors. So I talked about the value of the small. And it seems so... What would be an English, well, American word for it? The English word is twee. Um trite perhaps to talk about oh you just do the little things and God likes the little things Jesus has come and because Jesus has come it changed everything perhaps especially the little things the wee things the story is told three times three of the gospels so let's hear the parable we're going to start with Mark then go to Matthew then Luke because that's probably the order in which they were written Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Okay, stop right there. Everybody for hundreds of years had had their ideas. And it usually involved a whole bunch of armies, soldiers, and whooping up on the Romans or the Jebusites or the Philistines or whoever was in power at the time. And, of course, kingdoms and castles and the like. They didn't do castles like us. It would be um, a, a bailey moat, basically, with uh, uh, wood and, and dirt. But... What's it going to be like? What parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. By the way, is the smallest of all seeds? They know. Are there smaller seeds? Yeah, probably. There, there are. But he's not trying to do botany here. He's trying to, to explain to people in terms they know. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. 
Matthew, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it's grown, it becomes the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And again, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Each are beautiful. Each are slightly different. Are these contradictions? No. Jesus would have told the same story more than once, in more than one setting. He had three and a half years to do it. We only have a portion of that time written about in Scripture. But we, we have enough of it to know he traveled and spoke a lot. And people tended to not leave him alone. Even when he gets in a boat to get away from them, they're waiting on him when he gets to the other side. Well, he told the story to different people in different ways that each group could understand it. One of the aspects of Advent that we, we talk about a bit, but I'm not really sure we talk about it right there's the arrogance again, going full flower. It's always fascinated me, the small things in Advent. Uh, it, it, can we just be honest here? God did Advent completely wrong. We would have descended with a shout, swords flailing about, people getting caught on fire because they didn't believe Jesus. We would have had earthquakes swallowing up the Romans. We would have had the nails bounce off Jesus' hands. We would have done a totally different story, wouldn't we? We would have turned Advent into a Marvel comic or a DC comic. I don't know the difference, and I'm not interested. Don't tell me. I, I don't follow that stuff because physics. Anyway, um, he chose to invade in a very odd way. He was always here. God was always on earth, and he was always loving, always caring, always active on the planet. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God wasn't here, but he came in a very special way through the body of a very young girl who wasn't quite married. We don't talk about that too much. I've even had preachers try to say, now betrothed was like being engaged. And so, you know, it was, it was a kind of betrothed was you were under contract is what it was. We don't know. The, the tradition says Joseph was much older than her. He would have had to have gotten a bit older because she was 12 or 13-ish. And we all go, ah, but. And this is why we don't talk about this till many of the kids are out of the room. And no, you can't date. Um, but this is, this is odd. Would you have done it? Wouldn't you have waited a little bit? Wouldn't you have waited till she was a bit older? God didn't. Wouldn't you have waited till she got married? God didn't. He chose to come this way. And if you look at the way Jesus treated women throughout the Gospels, you can see that the way he started is the way he finished. Always elevating the very ones good people look down on. Jesus isn't good. He's God. He's better than good. And he's trying to lift us up there too. But then, a baby. You just don't see that much. You don't really. If you're in a war movie, and uh, then you're wondering, oh, how are we going to be saved? And somebody goes, send in the Marines. And you go, yay. 
Whoa, that's good stuff. Nobody ever says, send in the baby. That'll sort it. Give him 30 years to grow up. He'll say some things. It's going to go great. We don't, God's plans never look like they make sense. If you have a plan for your life and you think God sorted it all out and it makes perfect sense, you're wrong. Think of Jericho. All right, we're coming up against Jericho. How are we going to deal with this? God sends his commander of the Lord's army out in the middle. One of the most dramatic things. Joshua goes out to pray, think a little bit before the battle, sees this guy. Joshua, who's never been afraid of anything in his life, hits the dirt in fear. And he says, who are you with? Are you with them? Are you with us? And the guy goes, neither. Okay. There's a third player. He says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, and I'm going to tell you how to do this. And Joshua goes, yes, sir. I will. All right, what's the plan? We're going to walk around the city. Okay. Then the next day, oh, it's going to get better. We're going to walk around the city. Now, we keep doing this for six more times. And then the seventh, on the seventh day, oh boy, what happens then? We're going to walk around the city a lot and play some tunes. Now, if anybody's out there thinking, he's being irrelevant, I'm reading the Bible. You've got Naaman, captain of the enemy of God, and he comes saying, you know, I really like to get rid of my leprosy. Elijah tells him, go jump in the lake. He does, and tells him, keep doing it seven times. That's odd. God was trying to show us he works not in the big, glitzy glamour, but in little things you've never even noticed. That's where God is. Oh, it, it gets worse in Advent. Not only is the birth announced by angels, okay, that's good, that's impressive, but who did he announce it to? Shepherds. Now, we do that, and we say, we, we, we do the story, and we go, oh, that's cool. Shepherds watch their flocks by night. We know the story. What you don't know is the culture in which the story is embedded. Why did the angels announce the birth of the Son of God to nomads? Shepherds were looked upon as nomads, still are in that area, that weren't thought of well in society to the point, since they didn't own proper land and have proper family recognition, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. And that's who God goes to first. It's almost as if God's trying to get our attention, isn't it? By doing it completely, not like us. It just terrifies me to see groups of men, it seems to be men, get together and plan out God's day for him and say, this is the way it's going to be in our church for the next 20 years. Really? Well, then it will be your church. It won't be his. Because he's going he's gonna to snap your neck with the changes. He does that. If you don't like change, you pick the wrong universe. That's your fault, not mine. Why, why, talk, why not talk to somebody that show up at the Sanhedrin? That's like the Supreme Court. That would have carried so much weight. But he went to the people that needed God. And he didn't care that they carried no weight. The little people. The wee people. Why not wait until Joseph and Mary are married? That would make so many more awkward discussions stop. Because little kids will read the story and go, 
but they weren't married. Uh Uh-huh. Let's move on, shall we? God does that to us. I was asked to speak uh, at one of the larger congregations in Searcy, Arkansas, in the shadow of Harding. And they had asked me to come do uh, one of the Jesus stories, and they picked the water to wine. You, it's a dry county, <laughs> which means Jesus would have had to go in the next county to do it, I guess. But I start talking about it, and, and you can almost see that the people's faces are going up red and purple, and some of them are hitting the watch. It's got to be over. It's got to be over. The watch has died. You know, they're, they're trying to find a way out. Jesus is not going to make us comfortable. He started small. Mary, then Elizabeth, then John, then Jesus. Then some friends. Jesus will gather. A whole bunch of friends. Nah, 12. He really liked three, <laughs> but special. But he, 12, yes. And then a few years later, thousands are baptized in Acts chapter 2. That sounds like a butterfly effect, doesn't it? One little thing. It's God in charge of the little things that make them big things when they're offered to God. Like the kid who brings his lunch to God and Jesus is able to feed thousands and thousands and have leftovers. Must have been Thanksgiving. They seem to have had more leftovers than they had original meal. It's a, we see this miracle every November. But he takes a little thing, he makes it big. This is amazing. So, Let's look at this again. And he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like the mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. When planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. He told him another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now, if some of you are thinking, all right, we've read this. We've done. When God says something, he says something for a very good reason. When he doesn't say something, it is wise not to say something. Don't rush in and fill the gaps in God's speaking. We always get it wrong. And when God repeats something, maybe we should really be paying attention. How many great doctrines are formed on one verse? And I'm not saying that's wrong. But we could go through one verse, the interpretation of one verse, and we do this whole big castle of doctrines on it. But when God comes back again and again and again with the same simple thing, we might want to be quiet and listen. It's the little things. Is it possible that one small seed can one day cover the world and give shelter to all who come to it? Yeah. It is. And we don't have to go into botany here and talk about an ornamental plant brought from uh, Japan that now has taken over the south with kudzu. We could, we could talk about things like this, but we're not going to. We're going to do it a little different. 
And by the way, this is going to be a lot of numbers and you don't have to remember any of them. I'm just trying to make a point, shall we? Globally, the Pew Research Center says that today there are 2.19 billion Christians on the planet. That's actually their latest number. The latest number comes from 2011. It takes them a while to compile. So 2.19 billion. Don't need to write it down or think about it because I don't even want to start with 2.1 billion. I want, to go, I want to go smaller. When I was a boy and a young adult, we were told repeatedly that we were the one true church. All the other people were so-called Christians. If that's offensive to you, good. It should be. We didn't know. We did not know that we were in error thinking that way. And we believed it and we taught it sincerely that we were the only ones. Our tribe was the only ones. And if somebody left us, and went to another church, we spoke of them as leaving the church, leaving the faith, and now they were lost. Even sometimes when they went to another church of Christ that differed us with us on something, we would say they were lost. I don't believe that now, but I want to play with that number. At that time, we were told we have over two million members. Well, a wonderful man who's since passed on to glory named Flavel Yakely and others, they, they did some tremendous hard work trying to figure out, is that really the number? And they just, they came up with, at, at our peak, we might have been one and a half million, but at the time they delivered their findings in the early 90s, they said, we're just over a million. So I want to go with that number. I'm doing a whole Gideon story here, we're going to go smaller. We're not going to do 2.1 billion, we're not going to do 2 million. We're going to go one million people, all right? Now, the, S the United Nations estimates that there are now 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet. Compared to that number, 7.7 .7 billion and one million, one million looks terribly small, does it not? Because it is, in relationship, it really is. A million members of a church seems, and, and most of them localized right here, in the continent, uh, although there's some shifting uh, actually to a third world, but let's just let's play it here. We're, we're located here, and most of the churches are far more interested in maintaining the comfort level of members than they are in spreading the gospel to uncomfortable places. Is that fair? I, I think that's fair to say. So one million doesn't look like it's going to get the job done. But I want to I play with this a little bit. You know, some people say, well, you know, one million people, you'll never have the resources. You'll never have the talent pool to reach the world. But what if one person, every person in that one million, believed in Jesus enough to bring one person to faith? I'm not talking about bring them in to our way of thinking about all things. I'm saying make them, or lead them into the story of Jesus to where they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. One person in a year, every one of the million reach one person in a year. Now that's impossible. We're, we're in the realms of fantasy here because some people won't do it. Some people aren't interested. Some people aren't loving. You know, uh, and some people are sick. And some people, you know, all right, but we're playing with the number. Every one of us just reach one person. Do the math. I really, I, I recommend that you do the math. It's not hard. We have calculators. 
If we all just reached one person a year, in 13 years, the entire planet would be believers. We're 13 years away. If we just did it. If we just reached people. But we always think of the beau geste, the grand gesture. We don't, don't think of the, the little things. And here's where I need to confess something to you. I spent some of the last night apologizing to Jesus. I didn't even talk to Cammie about this yet. Don't worry, honey. We're good. <laughs> well, that make make her worry. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I just stole her hope. Uh, anyway, um, whatever. <laughs> Yesterday, we, we went to the mall because I'm not scared. Uh, uh, <laughs> Cammie needed something. We went there. I was cold. She was cold. No problem. But then she had a coupon for something. And she goes, bud, it's all the way to the other end of the mall. It's crowded. I said, we're already here. It's unlikely we're going to be back. So let's go. So we went to Restoration Hardware because my wife is a designer and that's, uh, that's, that's a homeland. Of, uh, there, there are flocks of designers that, that move about. It's, it's actually majestic over the plains. So we, we went in and as she's walking around looking at stuff and asking my opinion, which she really doesn't want, right? It's, we all understand this. I always go, okay. And as we're walking around, there was um, an African-American couple and a, a son. They, they were probably a little younger than us. And they were sitting on the couches in the back. And you could just see the weariness. Cami is moving on. I stopped and I said, you picked the best place in the mall. And we started a discussion. She, and the lady says, well, you can sit right down beside me. And I said, you see that lady? I've been trying to catch her for 41 years. If I'm afraid if I slow, she'll get away. And they started laughing. And so I walked around. And then we met each other again when they were up and, and looking at some stuff. We talked. We had a, had a, it, they were a lovely couple. And I apologized to God. That would have been a great time for me to say, Hi, I'm Patrick. You guys live around here. And start a relationship and a friendship. And I didn't. Didn't even occur to me. That's how blind I was. And I do this for a living. And I was completely derelict in my duty. And I said, God, would you send somebody nice to them? Somebody not like me? Somebody that can focus on others? Because I feel like, you know, unless they were angels sent by God just to show me, Patrick, you're naughty. You're not doing, the, you're not doing it. But I want to I stress, it's not hard to make friends. It's not hard to be kind. It's not hard. And if it is hard, do it anyway. Be kind. Be nice. Don't be Patrick in Restoration Hardware. All I'm thinking about is escape from Colditz. I'm trying, you know, from Stalag 13. I'm trying to find a way to go over the water, uh, wire. I needed to be about my father's business. Because we're 13 years away. If we did it at a slow pace of one person per person. In our tribe. And others are trying. Others are out there. This could be done within a couple of years if the Christians decided to be Christian. And a word needs to be said here. I want to make it very plain. We don't befriend others and love them so that we can get them. We befriend others and love them because God called us to. Whether or not they ever become a part of our church or they are ever believers in any God at all, we are called to love and befriend others. 
That's our job. So I'm not saying love people and we can catch them. No, 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 no. To me, in fact, that's, that's a bit offensive. We are to live our lives to show them the love of God. We're not to live our lives so we can sneak up on them in the name of Jesus. That'd be dishonest. We love people because they are children of Almighty God. Every man you meet is a son of our Father. Every woman you meet is a daughter of the King. Behave appropriately. The Pew Research Centers, again, says 2.1 billion Christians on earth. But you know something? We don't know anything about these people. We don't know how many of them are truly Christian. And it's not up for us to make that sort of judgment. But remember this. Everything God does starts with the small. Somehow, he now, creation was a big thing. I'll give you that. But even think about how he's worked since then. Rarely does the big miracles, does he? When Jesus did miracles, there was no videotape, there was no digital recording. He did it before small groups of people, and they went out and told others. Jesus didn't write about it. Others told others who told others, and you're at the end of that line. Don't be the end of the line. Don't let the story stop with you. We've all seen surveys and since I don't know how they collect their data, I'm not going to say that this is gospel truth, all right? But it's reported on the news and in and papers quite a lot saying things such as, you know, 50% of our kids have no concept of who Hitler was. You know, and, and we're the whole point is we're losing our stories. We're losing who we are, and we will, will be doomed to fall back into the pit because nobody told everybody else there's a pit there. We have to tell the stories. Mary, Elizabeth, John, Jesus, the 12, the 3,000, and you. Don't let it stop. Don't let it stop with you. And again, I've been asked by people that, that know what I've done and where I go and the like, and they'll say, are you guys at three or four services yet? No, we might be one day. But that's not a goal of mine. My goal is to love the people in this area with the best of our ability and show them Jesus. I don't know that God wants us to be a mega church. I don't know that he doesn't, frankly. I'm going to let God call all that stuff because he's going to anyway. Instead, just be Christian. Just be Christian. We had three services up in Rochester, in Michigan, that outside the Detroit area. And I loved it. I preached all three the first two, strict schedule. Third, I got a couple extra things to say because there was nothing after them. They couldn't escape. And we had, I had a great time, loved it. But I also go to churches like I did recently in Louisiana where I'm talking to 20 people. And I have people ask me repeatedly, why would you cross the country and go to Oak Harbor in, in uh, Washington? Why would you go to little churches of 20 and 50 and 60? Because that's where God starts. That's where God begins the story. They don't have resources, but they have the story. Why don't I stay there? Because you need the story too. And you need to share the story as well. We bring people to Jesus, not so congregations will grow, but so that they'll know God loves them. That the angel's tale of Advent is true. 
We want to offer them the shelter of the tree that Jesus talked about in all those parables. And then right after this parable in the book of Matthew, he uses this one, Matthew 13, 33. He told them still another parable. And he says still another because Matthew got on a tear with parables. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is a great mystery to me. I know enough about botany and about reactions and such to understand what yeast does, but I've been in churches where bread was a community event, where the women made bread, and they would come, I have a starter, and the other ladies would gather around, and, Woo! and they would go off, and when people had vacations, they would bring their starter for other people to babysit it. I'm not making this up, guys. Ask a woman. They know secrets. They don't tell us. Well, they might, but we're busy. Football's not going to watch itself. And they take this little bit, and they take it over here, and then that bread starts over here. But now I have to be away for a while, so I need you to keep nurturing this little bit. There's not much yeast. Have you, bought, have you seen the, the, the yeast packets, guys, at least, that she's brought home? Little things like a handy wipe. Don't use them for that purpose. You smell all yeasty. It's awful. Bad bread. But just a little bit. And then they all this pound and it works its way through. And he's saying that's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's not big storms. It's not big events. It's not we're going to get a bigger band. We're going to get a better preacher. We're going to get a singing preacher. I'm barely a preacher preacher. Don't put the pressure on me here. And besides, if I sang during the middle of my sermon, I guarantee you it would haunt you for the rest of your life like that other one did. I can clear a room. Anyway, it was heaven in a loaf of bread because it was the story of Jesus moving from one to the other, one to the other. It's amazing. It illustrates a heavenly truth. Being small does not mean powerless. Being small does not mean insignificant. You are necessary. If you're going to come up to me and say, why am I necessary? I'm just going to say prima facie evidence. God created you. He didn't have to. You're necessary. If you say, but I've lived you know, 70, 80 years. I don't think I've done anything. Well, that's the thing. You don't have to know what you did he knows he knows why you were created why you were placed and he knows God's not going to fail he's going to get get his job done let's be the ones that help him do it enthusiastically spreading from one to the other nurturing the story Mark I'm, there's not an easy transition but I'm just going to ask you to bring your team up I still have a couple scriptures to go guess I'm part of the team I'm finally with the cool kids. Matthew 18. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured till he could pay back all he owed. Do you remember this? This is how my father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And then look at in Mark. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. I don't know how God's going to use this sermon today. 
or how he would have used me if I'd stepped up to the plate in restoration hardware, or how he might have even used me when I failed to step up to the plate. I don't know. But I do know it's our job to show up, to love the others, to do the small thing, the little thing, and let God take it from there. Do you stand, please? We scatter the seed, but it is the Lord of the harvest who knows where it grows, when it grows, and why it grows. Our job is not to be concerned about numbers and the here and now or what happens later and then. Our job is to be faithful, to show Jesus by our love, through our generosity, through our kindness, through our grace. And Jesus has promised he will take it from there. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And the whole church says...